Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus 34. Wow. Exodus 34. We're um, continuing, of course, our study of the book of Exodus. We're toward the end. And this book shows God's redemption and deliverance of his people from Egypt. We see his providing and protecting them in the wilderness, bringing them to Mount Sinai, giving them the law which sets them apart and makes them his special people. Exodus 34, I think, is one of the most famous passages, not only in the Old Testament, but in the entire Word of God. Now, that when I say it's famous because it's so powerful, it's often overlooked. What makes it so special is this. We see the character of God as given directly from God himself. As if you remember, Moses said, I want to see what you're like. I want to see your glory. And God said, well, you can't really see my glory. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by and I'll let you see my glory. And he lets you see the character. See, Moses wanted to see the glory of God. And, and, and on, on the mountain, uh, God proclaims his glory to Moses. And he shows his character. This passage, we'll see what God's really like. And we started it last time. And so there's a lot there. We want to, we want to know God. And then we want to thank God for who he is and what he's done. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. And thank you again for Chris and Nicole, and we're going to miss them so much. And we love them, and we just thank you that they're just faithful people. They just use the gifts, talents, and abilities you've given them to touch lives for Jesus Christ. And we're going to be able to keep up with them, but we're going to miss them. And we just thank you for the way they impacted so many here. And we love them. And Lord, we thank you that as we look into the Word of God, as we look into the book of Exodus, that you show us great truths and we see your character and we see what you're like. And Lord, we, 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 the truth is the, that the more we know you, the more we should want to know you. So Lord, just teach us tonight as we study the book of Exodus and as we uh, see the character of our great God. Uh, teach us now, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think one of the great truths from the Word of God deals with the grace of God. We talked about it last time that God is a gracious God. Both the Old Testament and New Testament, we talked about the word grace stands out. It is God's unmerited favor, and, and God gives to us freely. But then we think there's another word that stands out. And in fact, if we said, what is one of the great words in the Bible? Most people would say love, and they'd say God's love. That, that's a word. And when we think about it, John, the, the word, the Greek word for love, one of, there's a bunch of them. There's a word eros, and there's a word agape, uh, 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 phileo, and then there's a word storge, and then there's the one agape, what everybody knows. It, it means an unconditional love, God's love for mankind. John 3, 16, I'm sorry, just give you there. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us, that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. First John 4, 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfactory payment for our sins. As we think about the word love, we realize that God describes himself to Moses as a God of love. And that's amazing when you think about it. The word used that uh, in this uh, passage is loving kindness. His loving kindness, he says, overabounding in loving kindness and truth. And it's a, it's a Hebrew word, H-E-S-E-D, chesed is how you actually say it. I always say chesed because the guttural sound, chesed, you know, you don't know. It sounds like something's wrong with your throat, chesed, but that's what it is. And this is the word and that thing that uh, Brian just read for us in the psalm. Uh, his loving kindness is forever. That, that thing over and over again, that's the same Hebrew word for love. It, it means loyal love. It's an unconditional love. It's, and as we continue to see the character of God, 
proclaimed to Moses by God. We're going to see that this, this evening as we look at that word. Well, let's begin. Let's remember where we are. The nation of Israel has come out of Egypt. By God's great power, he has redeemed them. He has delivered them. We see that day after day, he has taken care of them. He has provided and protected them. They've come to Mount Sinai. And the plan is that God is going to set them apart, giving them a law and making a covenant with them, which we call the Mosaic Covenant. At this time, something special is going on. Moses has a pattern. Now, the tabernacle is not built, so there's not the tabernacle and the place of sacrifice and all that. It's not happened yet. Moses has this pattern. He set a tent up outside of the camp. He would go out there to meet with God, and he, he would do that. It was fellowship. And we realize this, that the more Moses met with God, the more Moses wanted to meet with God. And the, we might even put it this way. The more Moses knows God, the more Moses wants to know God. And this is, should be true for us. The more we, sp- the more time we spend with God, the more we want to meet with Him, the more we want to spend time with Him. What happened that Moses made a request? Let me read it to you. This is found in chapter 33, verse 18. Here's what Moses said. Moses said, Lord, I pray, show me your glory. He said, show me your glory. The idea is, I want to know you even more. I want to know you. And you can think that Paul had said the same thing. What did Paul say? that I might know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering, that I might know you even more. And that's what he's really saying, I want to know you. What God's answer is that nobody can really see me and live. Why? Because we're he's an infinite, all-perfect God, and we're finite people. But in Exodus thirty-three twenty, God says this, You cannot see my face and live, for no man can see me and live. But what God tells Moses, that he's going to put him in the cleft of the rock. And he's going to pass by and he's going to see his glory. So in Exodus 34, we're actually seeing this as God proclaims his glory to Moses. So it's powerful. And, and, and this is a place that when you say, what's God like? The truth is, when you say, what is God like? You can go to the scripture in all different places. But here's a place in which God describes himself. So it's pretty powerful. Uh, look at uh, 34 verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud. He told Moses to come up on top of the mountain. Moses went on top of the mountain. Now, by the way, I do want to read something to you that um, that, that you should you should understand. Uh, let's see. Let me find the verse that I'm looking for. Look at verse 4 right before we get to verse 5. He said, so he cut, this is Moses, so he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones. Moses rose up early in the morning, went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took the two stone tablets, notice, in his hand. This is something I brought out to you, that it's not Charlton Heston with two big things walking around like this with five on one and five on the other. They're most likely round plates. He's got them in one hand. He's got the two tablets in one hand, and he's going up for God to write the commandments on top of that. It says in verse 5, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. So it's really, very powerful. And in verses 6 and 7, we actually get an idea. Let me, let me read it to you. It says, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God. And then it says, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquities, transgressions, and sin, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. What we saw is there are eight characteristics of God's character. Look at what they are. He is compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in loving kindness. He abounds in truth. He keeps his loving kindness for all generations. He forgives sins. 
And he deals with sins. He punishes sins. We started last time and we got the first two of those. Compassion and grace. Let me just remind you. Compassion. God is a God of compassion. The, the, the idea means caring. God says, as a father has compassion on his children, so God has compassion on those who fear him. And the idea of fear is the all in respect. He has compassion on us as a father-child relationship. He cares about everything in our lives. And I think that's one of the things we have to remember, is that God cares about every aspect of anything that we deal with. And sometimes we think that God doesn't care. Sometimes we think that God doesn't, that he isn't interested in certain things, but he cares about everything. That was the the first one. The second one, as what we saw last time, was gracious. God is gracious to us. God deals with us in grace. Grace is unmerited favor. It's not something we deserve. God deals with us. It's not based on our goodness or actions, but simply faith alone and, and, and God's grace. Salvation is by grace through faith. The Christian life is lived by the grace of God. Even the future looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing is all on the grace of God. We thank God for grace in our lives. I talked to a person just recently, and we were talking about the whole issue of salvation. And the person basically said they thought, they thought being good would get them to heaven. But as we begin to talk about it, they realized that they couldn't be good enough, that they'd all sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. And, and the person said, well, I don't think I can be good enough. And so in a sense, how am I going to get there? I said, well, the grace of God. Because by the grace of God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died for you, paid for sin, rose again. When you believe in Christ, trust in him, he gives you eternal life. And that person understood grace for the first time. It's just amazing how God deals with us in grace. Well, that's the first two. Now, tonight, as we continue, notice it says, The Lord, the Lord God, He's compassionate and gracious. And then here's the third one, slow to anger. Now, I think that we should all be glad that God is slow to anger. Because He's not like us, right? Because if if anybody does the least thing to us, we go, What What do you think you're doing? Why would you do that? Can you believe they did that? I mean, the waitress didn't bring the thing. Somebody pulled in front of me in line. I mean, you eat just the slightest thing makes us angry. But God is a God who's slow to anger. The word has an idea of long fuse to not get angry quickly. When we think of anger, we realize that God's anger is not like our anger. His anger. I mean, we get angry because we don't get what we want or we think something's not right. But God's anger is based on his character. And it is grounded in his holy character. See, his anger deals with the fact that we do wrong. The Bible shows us that God has a basis for his anger toward toward us. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each one our own way. We've sinned. God's anger is directed toward our sin and our rebellion. God is righteous, and in his anger, he deals with sin. And we begin to go, ooh, what are we going to do? Because uh, we, we don't want to fall in the hands of an angry God. And what we realize is that he describes himself not as an angry God, but a God who is slow to anger. There's a difference. He has a long fuse. Now, in the the scripture, in the Old Testament, this idea is anger is sometimes the word refers to a red nose. That's what it means. Like when a person gets angry and their face gets red, that's the word that was used to describe someone who got angry, a red nose. God's slow to have a red nose is what it almost is saying. Thank God for the fact that he is slow to anger. Now, I want you to think about something. Realize God has already dealt with our sin. How? First Peter 3.18, Christ died for our sins once for all the just for the unjust 
to bring us to God. See, God has poured out his wrath and his anger, not on us, but on his son, Jesus Christ. See, but think about this. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's us. The wages of sin is death. There's supposed to be death and separation. But God, in his grace and mercy and love to us, poured out his anger on sin, basically on his son, Jesus Christ, who became our substitute. Jesus died in our place. The slow to angry God has poured out his anger on his son, Jesus Christ. Now, now think about this. So we say, okay, so, so in, in, in as far as salvation is concerned, God has poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, not us. But what about day in and day out? The Bible talks about even in the Christian life, he is slow to anger in, in our, in our daily sins. In Hebrews 12, 6, it says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. See, he knows us. One of my favorite passages is Psalm 103, where he says, God knows who we are. He knows we are just dust. He knows we're dust. Listen, if you think you're going to do good all the time, then you know yourself. Do you know yourself? If you really know yourself, you say, well, I'm not going to do good all the time. In fact, I'm not going to do good very much of the time. In fact, if I'm left to myself, I'll do bad all the time. I'll fulfill my own desires. I'll fulfill the lust of the flesh. If God were not slow to anger, we would all be dead. Isn't that true? Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. There's going to be a time that there'll be an accounting. We thank God that he's slow to anger because he's poured out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. Do you realize that no human being will ever stand before God to deal with their sins. You understand that? No human being will ever stand before God to deal with their sins. Why? Because the sins have already been placed on Christ. He's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. When believers stand before God, it's at the, ju- at the uh, judgment seat of Christ, which is a rewarding stand. It's not dealing with our sins. It is dealing with our works and our rewards. When the unbeliever stands before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment, Revelation chapter 20, it is not for sin. The books are open. The books of life are open. The other books that are open that are their deeds, their good deeds. And then the book of life, the book of life is open and anyone's name not found written in the book of life is cast in the lake of fire. No human being stands before God to deal with sin because he's already dealt with their sin. Unbelievers do not go to heaven to eternal life, not because of their sin, but because they have not believed. Remember John 3.18? He that believes is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Powerful, powerful truth. God is slow to anger, and his anger has been poured out on his Son, Jesus Christ. So, he's compassionate as a father to a child. He is gracious, deals with us in unmerited favor. He is slow to anger. He poured out his wrath on his Son. That takes us to the fourth one. If you notice, it says, he is gracious, slow to anger, and abounding, overflowing in, and he lists two right here in a row, abounding in loving kindness and abounding in truth. We'll start with loving kindness. Abounding in loving kindness. God overflows with loving kindness. And, 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 and that has an idea of pouring 
something into a glass and it just overflows. I mean, you've done that. If you weren't watching, you know, you were pouring something and it gets too much and it just goes over the side. It overflows. This is what this word means. God abounds in loving kindness. Now, that's that special word. In Hebrew, it's H-S-D, H-E-S-E-D, chesed. It means loyal love. It's sometimes translated kindness. Most of the time translated loving kindness. Sometimes love. Sometimes steadfast love. But the most of the times it's translated in our English Bibles, loving kindness. It's love. It is love that has an unchanging, unconditional, eternal love based on God. God's covenant, based on God's promises, God chooses to love. And that is the key about God. God loves us with an everlasting, unconditional love. Psalm 136 verse 1 says his love is everlasting. Now think about God's love to us, and it's very powerful. His love, his love is the motivation for our salvation. His love is the motivation for his grace. God so loved the world that he gave. His love is the motivation for his grace. John three sixteen, first John four nine, by this the love of God was manifested that he sent his only begotten Son in the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's amazing the love of God. I think that sometimes we we actually believe that if we do good, God loves us more. And if we do bad, God loves us less. We sometimes actually believe that the unbeliever, God doesn't love as much as he loves the believer. The truth is God's love never changes. God loves all people to the maximum. He loves the unbelieving, rebellious one who is in open rebellion against him. He loves that person in the same way that he loves any of us or anyone who loves him, serves him, trusted in him. He loves us to the maximum. His love does not change. When you do wrong, when you sin, his love does not change. Listen, I want you to think about God's love. It is based, not based on our, on us, our actions or our goodness. God chose to love us not because what we do or serve, but because he chose to love us. When he chose the nation of Israel, he chose the nation of Israel from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and on down. He actually tells them, I did not choose you because you were better than anybody else. I chose you because I chose you. God chose to love us not because of what we'll ever do. It's because he chose to love us. God's love is unchanging. That's number two. We've seen that. that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. First John 4, 8. God is love. He doesn't change. If we do good, he doesn't love us more. If we do bad, he doesn't love us less. It's an unchanging love. Now, don't do bad. You know, some people say, well, if it doesn't matter whether he loves me or not, how much he loves me because he's going to love me to the max and it doesn't matter how I live. It matters how you live because you'll lose rewards, you'll lose your testimony, and you'll lose opportunities to serve him. But it doesn't change his love for you at all. His love is unchanging. His love is shown by his actions. So many times people think love is a feeling. They look across the crowded room and they go, boy, boy, I have feelings for her. That's not love. Love is an action. Love is choosing. We should thank God for his unchanging, unconditional, eternal love. How do we respond to that? We love him, and we love others. He said, if God so loved us, we ought to do what? Love other people. God is a God who loves you and me beyond what we could even imagine. We don't earn his love, and we can't lose it. It's just, it's just it's beyond comprehension because that's not the way it works with us. We, we love people who love us. If somebody treats us better, we don't love them anymore. We go, I, I, uh, they're okay. He loves us. 
with an everlasting, unconditional love. We have seen that God is compassion, compassionate. He cares for us as a father to a child. He is gracious. He deals with us in unmerited favor. He's slow to anger and he put his wrath on his son. He is a God who overflows in loving kindness, which is an eternal, unchanging, unconditional love. I've got one more I just want to touch on. One more. Notice what it says. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. He abounds in truth. And, and, and what I want you to know, the Hebrew word for truth here actually has a dual aspect. It has an idea of truth and faithfulness. You could actually put it that God is faithful and true. It kind of ties together. He's faithful and true. What he says, he does. Whatever his words are, he will do. I think of, of the gospel of John with Jesus Christ. You have his works. It's what he does, which are the seven signs. You have his words, which he says, which are the seven I am statements. His words and his works. One of the great teachers of all time is Dr. Pentecost at Dallas Seminary. He's 96 years old. He's taught there for over, I think, 60 years. His, he did a work on, on the life of Jesus Christ, and he called it the words and the works of Christ. The words, what he said. The works, what he did. And the truth is that God is faithful and true. Whatever he says, he does. We can trust his words because his words... And his works all go together. John seventeen seventeen, thy word is truth. Romans chapter 4, what he has promised, he is able to do. He always does that. He is faithful and true. He's a God we can depend on. He is overflowing, abounding in truth. We can go to the Word of God, and I think this is the key. It's the key for our church. You know, I came here almost 27 years ago. It'll be 27 years in July. And when I came, we had a very small group of people, but the bottom line was the group said, we want you to teach us the Bible, we believe the Bible, we want to know the Scripture and how it fits together. So for 27 years, basically, we've gone through the Bible verse by verse, passage by passage, teaching it, seeing it, leaving how it fits together. The truth is this, the Bible is the Word of God and it's true, and you can always depend on it. And whatever it says, that's the bottom line. You look at it and you say, what does he say about salvation? It's by grace through faith. What does he say about the Christian life? It's a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. What do we think about the future? We're looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And you can go place after place after place. And what you do is you have the Word of God. And here is God's Word describing to us what God said about Himself. He's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, abounding in truth, who keeps His loving kindness for thousands, who forgives sins, and who will not leave the guilty unpunished. We'll talk about what that means when we get to that in just several weeks. We can go to the Word of God and base our lives on it. I think that's the basis for life, the Word of God. It's been said that if truth is not taught, then error will be. If we're not transformed by the truth of the Word of God, we will be conformed by the world. You've heard me say this over and over. If we're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, we are unconsciously being conformed to this world. And I just want to stop for just sort of digress for just a second. One of the things that, that uh, I've talked to some of the men about and some of the different things, what we see over and over again is that in our world today, the Word of God is not taught. In churches today, people are entertaining. People want to figure out a way to get people to come back. And so instead of actually teaching the Scripture, sometimes they talk about the Bible. And by the way, talking about the Bible is different from teaching the Bible. 
You can talk about the Bible and never even talk, never even use it. You can talk about it, and what we see is I call it. Uh, I call out there two different things. You see, you'll see false theology and fluff theology. False theology is things that are taught that are contrary to the Scripture, and that's a lot of places. And then you see what I call fluff theology, which is like cotton candy, which is I just give you stuff, and and it really doesn't fit the Scripture. It's really not anything. It sounds good, looks good. You'll come back because it sounds good, but after a while you realize that there's not much there. And I see this everywhere. And a lot of times the famous people are into one of those two things. And because they seem to draw the crowd, and the crowd is not coming necessarily for the Scripture, they're coming for the entertainment. And he says that he abounds in truth. Thy word is truth. We must know the word of God so we can know his truth. Let me just tell you this. We've talked about it before, and I'm digressing a little bit from this passage. But that's why at Countryside, the goal is to, 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 for people to understand the Scripture and put it together. And we start with what we call our 412 foundations, which is basic truths. What's the gospel? How to present the gospel? The assurance of the believer. The idea of the difference between being a believer and being a disciple. How to get into the scripture for yourself. How to have your quiet time. All those kind of things. Bible study methods and those. Why? So that you can know the scripture. You can be ready that as you look at the scripture, you can, you can discern What's right? You can rightly divide the Word of God as the Juana passage, as Juana's meeting over there, where we think of Second Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved to work, but need not be ashamed, handling accurately the Word of God. We must handle accurately the Word of God, because it's the truth. It's alive. It's powerful. Sharper than your two-edged sword. Piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit, both of the joints and mirror, able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. That's a powerful verse. One of the things that I've got two groups of guys. One group meets on Tuesday morning. One group meets on Thursday morning. We, we are memorizing verses. It's powerful. We think it's one of the most important things that we do because we're trying to put the Word of God in our minds. Because that Word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we're trying to put God's Word in our brain so that we can know it. And so when we talk about things, instead of saying, well, there's a verse somewhere that says this, we can say, here's what this verse says. Here's how this passage fits together. Here's what this word, this passage says. Because I think it's so important that we know the word of God, that we memorize the scripture, that we put it in our hearts so that we can know it and be ready to give an answer. And he says, uh, you know, my word will never come back void, but accomplish the purpose. And Isaiah talks about that. And so you begin to look at it, and his word is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so you start seeing the word of God tells us truths, and we must know them and apply them. So, as we look at this passage, Moses said, I want to know you, I want to know you. And he said, okay, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by. And as he passed by, notice, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord, that's the personal name of God, the Lord God who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. That's what we've seen. Next time, now let me remind you, next Sunday night we won't meet. But Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, we're going to finish this passage right here. Because we take on Sunday nights, once we start, once CBI is over, and once we start our different Sunday night program, we move what we've been teaching on Sunday night to Wednesday night. Now let me be honest with you, there's only like about five more lessons in the book of Exodus. That's all we got. And then we're going to do something else, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. 
Okay, But anyway, uh, we will do something else pretty soon, and we'll go through that and get through the summer, and then we'll decide what to do in the fall as we come back for the school year and what we want to do on Sunday nights. But if you can come Wednesday night, you can see the next ones, and this one deals with this, who keeps his loving kindness for thousands. What does that mean? And he goes on to say, who forgives sin, and then he says, who deals with sin, who punishes sin. And you said, well, wait a minute, I thought you said that nobody will ever stand before Jesus Christ to deal with their sins. They already been paid for. But experientially, in the Christian life, when we sin, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also what? Reap. There is consequences in our fellowship as we go through life. So, a lot of things. We'll see it next time. What have we seen? God is proclaiming to Moses his glory, his character. We've seen that God is a God of compassion. He cares to, as a father to a child. He deals with us in grace. He is slow to anger. He's poured out his wrath on, on our sins on Jesus Christ. He loves us with an unconditional, eternal, unchanging love. And he is faithful and true because he keeps his word. Well, let me give you some applications. Number one, do all we can to know our God and Savior. Make a priority to spend time with Him. Now that's not an easy thing to do in life that is so busy that when you wake up, from the time you wake up, you've got things to do, people to see, places to go. Isn't that right? You have to have your people see other people's people so your people can, you know, can meet. You just think about how busy lives we live. And yet, we've got to make a priority knowing our God. And, you know, the, the more we spend studying, talking to him, reading the word, what we call quiet time, those kind of things, the more we're going to want to know him. The more we're going to spend more time with him. That's what Moses did. Moses would go out and talk to God, come back. He said, I think I'd like to go talk to him again. He said, show me your glory. I really want to know you. Take time to get to know him. Second, thank God for his character. We have a great God. What have we seen this evening? He's slow to anger. Thank the Lord that he's slow to anger. And thank the Lord that he poured out his ultimate wrath on his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died the just for the unjust. In the Christian life, he's slow to anger. He really is. You know, you look in the very, you look in the very beginning of the church, when, when everything in a sense was unique, and here is Ananias and Sapphira lying to God, lying to the people, and they die just like that. Uh, how many of us will be alive if lying killed you right now? Right? Wow. He's slow to anger. Thank God for our substitute, Jesus Christ. He is a God who loves us unconditionally. It helps me to know that when I mess up, that his love does not change. Because I know that in dealing with people, when we mess up with people, sometimes they change toward us. Sometimes they don't love us anymore. Sometimes they don't care about us. Sometimes they turn away from us. Sometimes they quit caring about us. Embrace your heart. But with God, no matter what, he never stops loving and it never changes as i said earlier we don't earn it we can't lose it we are loved by god higher than the heights and deeper than the depths and the third thing he is faithful and true his word is truth 
He's faithful and true. When you study the scripture, you can trust it. You can know it. And, and, and knowing the truth is the foundation for daily living as we look for the return of our Savior. So may we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior, thanking Him for His unchanging love. He is the one who died for us and rose again, knowing that we can trust Him to keep His word forever. Let's pray. We've got just a few minutes if you want any questions or comments or input. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for your word and how perfect it is. And thank you, Lord, that as we think about uh, uh, who you are, that maybe we can can do better, Lord, on getting time with you and reading your word and praying and talking to you and studying and all of the different things we can do to know you in even a greater way. So may we make that as a priority. May help us, Lord, to do that. And then second, thank you, Lord, for who you are, that you're slow to anger, that you poured out your anger on Jesus Christ, and then experientially, day after day, you're a God who is slow to anger. We thank you, God, that you're a God who loves us unconditionally. Thank you that you never change toward us. Thank you, Lord, for that. And then, Lord, that you are faithful and true, that you are overflowing, abounding in truth, faithful and true, that whatever you say, you do, and that we can trust your word. Thank you, Lord, for all these things. Thanks for a great Sunday night uh, over this past year. We look forward, Lord, as we continue Exodus on Wednesday nights and uh, just the idea of getting to study your word. Thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died and rose again, who gives eternal life simply as a gift by faith. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.